Hello, and welcome to the Byte Ransomware Podcast. I'm Norman Guadagno, and we are brought to you by Carbonite, the data protection company for business. In each episode, we'll be talking with featured guests about ransomware and other serious threats to your business data. As always, I'm joined by Fight Ransomware editor, Ellen O'Brien. Thanks, Norman. Glad to be here today. Uh, glad to chat with you, as always, Ellen. And today we are going to be joined by Shimon Modi, a cybersecurity product strategist and innovator. Right. Or some of our listeners might recognize his byline. He's a published author, a recognized expert on a lot of security topics, including uh, identity management. Super. Well, Shimon, welcome to the Fight Ransomware podcast. Well, thank you, Alan and Norman. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on this edition of your podcast. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to, uh, to dive in and talk to you. And I think first up, uh, we want to get started by talking a little bit about what a cybersecurity product strategist actually does. Maybe you could tell us sort of what you work on, uh, what you, uh, what you do in determining the strategy, maybe even a little bit of how you ended up doing this. Sure, I would love to. So let me first give you a little bit background about myself. I'm currently the head of product at TrueStar Technology, and we are building a threat intelligence platform that helps operators take faster decisions during the incident triage and response process. And the core idea behind the product is if you want to avoid large-scale cyber incidents, then enterprises need to have insight of attacks that are happening other against other enterprises. So a core part of what we do is we help facilitate exchange of incidents between enterprises and rapidly uncover what is relevant to the operator. How did I actually get to working on, on this product? Uh, let me give you a little bit of background about, about my introduction to cybersecurity. I got started in cybersecurity when I was studying at Purdue University when I was an undergrad, and I was a member of the Information Security Center called Sirius. Uh, uh, this is this is a world-renowned information security research center uh, headed by Eugene Spafford, if, for folks who are familiar with him. And Sirius uh, is quite unique. It takes a multidisciplinary approach to information security. So it's not only looking at technical issues like network security, oper- operating systems hardening, but also understanding the interdependencies between economic issues, management issues, human factors issues, linguistic issues, cultural issues. And so getting exposed to this mindset very early on in my cybersecurity career uh, has helped shape how I approach uh, cyber issues and products that I'm working on. So a fundamental guiding principle for me is, number one, map product strategy to business objectives, right? And this sounds uh, pretty fundamental, but uh, it is it, it, it is a non, non-trivial exercise, right? You have to ask yourself, is this a problem worth solving? Who will benefit from it? What can the enterprise now do better, different, faster that it couldn't do previously? So the types of ideas and products that have most interested me. And when I put on my product strategy hat, I'm always looking to connect the dots across various domains and really identify, uh, are we are we really solving a business problem by connecting these dots? And a clear understanding of this business objective is is imperative in, in what drives uh, the product strategy that I'm working on. Yep, very, very good. And I love that approach, by the way. And we, uh, you know, we often talk here about how disconnected sometimes, particularly in the cybersecurity world, uh, disconnected cybersecurity can be from the realities of how businesses have to operate every day. And it sounds like you understand that things that are far removed from the ability for a business to to execute and to meet its goals are also more 
uh, you know, likely to not get utilized appropriately because they're far removed from how businesses actually have to execute their goals. I'm also curious about what you see from your, in your customer base when you talk to them about incident triage. I noticed recently you revived one on your Twitter feed, a tweet you originally sent uh, back in 2013, and you said, threat intelligence is not a turnkey solution. And are you still sending that same message to businesses, or have they advanced in their understanding of the process of threat, you know, identifying threats? So from my from my perspective, the the maturity level has improved a little bit since I first sent that tweet out in 2013. I was I was starting to look at threat intelligence solutions uh, before before it became a buzzword. Mm-hmm. And and well, one of the one of the trends that I that I felt was going to become prevalent was thinking about threat intelligence as as a solution. You bring it in, you 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 connect it to your systems, and voila, yeah, threat intelligence is now helping you solve problems that you that you never knew existed. So that that kind of an approach is not the right way of getting the most out of this notion of threat intelligence. Uh, there's processes behind it. There's obviously the technology component behind it, but there's also people behind it. The, the security operators, and one of the biggest challenges that I hear about today from our customer base is I really don't know what to do with this threat intelligence. Uh, it is inundating my security operators with even more information. They are, they are, they're already suffering burnout by looking at a number of different events and alerts. So threat intelligence should really help me cut down the number of false positives. And as an, as an industry, uh, we do have a penchant for layering new and new technologies on top of uh, what, what what exists. So a lot of our users do come back to us and, and ask us to articulate what is it that threat intelligence can can really do. And that is that is one of the things that 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 drives my interest in the space is we have limited number of humans. These humans are are fighting the good fight. We mm-hmm. need to equip them with the right kind of tools that let them focus on what's important and let the technology take care of the mundane mundane issue. Uh, uh, and so, from a from, from a customer base perspective, there is still a lot of uh, a lot of fog around what threat intelligence can can really do. But it is going to be a vital component of uh, of a CISO security strategy as we as we move forward. Yeah, great, great. And I love your emphasis on you know let uh, let the technology take care of those things that are mundane. There's there's technology is infinitely scalable. People are not and. Uh, at the same time, we also all always know that people are the weak link, right? So we have to figure out how to make sure that we are thoughtful around uh, the weak link uh, that people bring to the party, which is the, the conundrum that we face in the cybersecurity space overall. Um, Shimon, I, I was reading this article that you were quoted in, uh, just, uh, just this morning again on domain shadowing it was a dark reading article. And I thought it was, it was fascinating because it, it was a, a topic that I, I hadn't been familiar with before that. And, uh, I'm seeing now a number of references to the, the technique, uh, coming, uh, through my feed. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what, what that means and, and what the implications of things like domain shadowing are. Absolutely. So it's funny. Researchers have been uh, have been tracking this this idea of domain shadowing for a number of years, but it's only in the last uh, couple of years that this technique has become more more widespread uh, among among cyber criminals and and attackers. So the idea behind domain shadowing is an attacker tries to get access to a legitimate domain registration account and then create subdomains under that legitimate domain. So effectively, what they have done is hijacked these these 
known good domains and and start creating malicious subdomains to distribute malicious content. So the end result now is that the criminal activities start looking like they're originating from a legitimate website. Uh, and and also, it's very easy to create a very large number of subdomains for 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 anyone who's been uh, who's been a an ISP administrator or, or or even set up their own web servers. It is it is it is extremely easy to to cycle through and scale up uh, the number of subdomains you can you can create. So the the end effect is that the traditional techniques that we use like blacklisting and blocking and identifying malicious domains to to try and uh, top them from sending traffic to you, all those techniques go out of the window. Uh, because they are originating from what looks like a legitimate domain, uh, it just passes through all your filters. So in terms of what what businesses can can think about doing uh, to address what I call the actual symptom, because and I'll go into what what the domain shadowing really leads to, but the symptom of domain shadowing can be addressed by uh, using things like two-factor authentication to improve the security of your domain administration accounts. Uh, if you if you look at a lot of domain administration panels today, uh, it, those are those come embedded with uh, with pre-populated passwords a lot of time. Admins don't don't uh, don't change those passwords. So two-factor authentication is is a solution to a number of problems, including this one. And then uh, there are there are there are, uh, data science techniques that you can use to identify new subdomains that are popping up at at a at a really fast fast pace. If there are multiple subdomains resolving to a single IP address, that is also another. Uh, Telltale sign of domain shadowing going on. So, so there are there are, there are a number of techniques that businesses can take to identify if they are a victim of domain shadowing. But but let's let's remember that domain shadowing is just a means to an end. It's, it's to it's to direct users to some kind of a malicious or a compromised website. Most likely, uh, it will be hosting some kind of an exploit kit. And this is where making sure that your systems are patched becomes extremely important. Uh, I'm starting to see more and more ransomware attacks now uh, starting to uh, uh, trickle down based with uh, exploit kits flinging mm-hmm. ransomware versus uh, versus ransomware coming in through some kind of a phishing attack. And so, for for example, the server ransomware has been delivered by Magnitude uh, Exploit Kit for a few months now. Similarly, the Rig Exploit Kit uh, has been observed to deliver the mole ransomware. So this is where the confluence of domain shadowing and ransomware really becomes dangerous. And what can have- IT pros on the, on, the, on the front lines do knowing that those two... Um, Forces are coming together. Uh, you know, ransomware and, and this is, this, domain shadowing. Yeah, definitely. And this is where I say uh, you don't need to be an innovator to solve this, to, to solve the majority of the problem. Uh, following basic hygiene like patch management does not need innovation. Mm-hmm. It requires having right kind of processes in place. For example, we all know how how how, how WannaCry really. Uh, really uh, spread across. It was by exploiting a vulnerability that was known to have been patched. In fact, most of the exploit kits that, that take advantage uh, of these vulnerabilities today are vulnerabilities that have been known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so to me, we need to step away from trying to, uh, trying to solve the problem in an exotic way. Uh, the basic hygiene like patch management can, can get you a long way there. Okay, that's an excellent reminder. Yeah, it, sh- it sure is. So, 
Uh, Shimon, as you're looking at some of these uh, sort of new techniques or, or maybe things that have been around for a while but are now blossoming and, uh, and new types of exploits for delivery of things like ransomware, what do you see uh, happening over the next 12 to 18 months? The attack technique of ransomware is not going to go away. Uh, there is just too much of a economic incentive for it not to attract anyone uh, who has access to the internet to try and launch their own own ransomware ransomware attack. Yeah. Right. And and so the 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 core issue now becomes how do we try and identify the kind of uh, propagation techniques that are being used by by ransomware campaigns. Earlier it was phishing emails. Now we are starting to starting to see uh, exploit kits uh, flinging ransomware. Uh, and and I see this particular trend just gathering momentum. Uh, there is, like I said earlier, uh, the when you combine financial motivation with easy-to-access tools, now you have every script kitty out there uh, who wants to fling ransomware. Um, and ransomware as a service is what really uh, gives me pause. Uh, this is this is this is now really bringing economic principles from a marketplace idea to the whole notion of creating a ransomware marketplace. And and I see this trend uh, gathering momentum. And from from my perspective, when I when I put on put on my my hat as a product product strategist, uh, this is where CISOs and, and and security operators need to do. I would say. Uh, three main things. One is get to know your systems and assets better and mm-hmm. align on business prior- priorities. If you know what system you're trying to protect, uh, you, you, you'll do a better job of assigning the right kind of controls in place. Right. Uh, the second sure. is obviously follow, follow basic hygiene, like I said earlier. And uh, the third one, I think, requires more of a change in mindset. Don't think that when you're responding to an incident, you are the only one affected. Ransomware has shown a propensity for propagating across multiple multiple enterprises and multiple continents. So today's response processes and systems are designed for isolated teams. But uh, from my from my perspective, we really need to think of of a connective tissue that allows enterprises to to uh, gain insight and knowledge of incidents that are happening beyond their four walls. That's a great point because Norman and I often talk uh, about ransomware attacks where uh, people are A, embarrassed and don't talk about it, uh, B, sometimes pay ransom to have it, um, over, to have the incident resolved quickly and then make themselves vulnerable again. And I wonder if the sharing of more information at once over geographic regions or however people are targeted would help uh, A, have it become less of a shame factor and B, maybe prevent people from actually paying if they knew they were in it with other people. Uh, does it, is that, is that, have you found that to be the case if they're aware that they're not alone? Are they, uh, how, I guess, how does it help them to know they're not alone? Definitely. And, and, and Ellen, I think this is, this has been a change in mindset that I've observed over the last few years. Ransomware has been around for at least three years. I've 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 known of it since going going back to three years, mm-hmm. but no one no one really talked about it three years ago. When WannaCry happened, everyone was talking about it about who got who got hit, right? So we are we are already starting to see a change in change in mindset. 
the next thing that we that we really need to focus on is how do we how do we not only exchange this information in a way that that protects everyone else, but is this information helping reduce the overall risk of of the entire ecosystem? And this is this is where again aligning business priorities to to your uh, to your cybersecurity approach is is super super important. Uh, and and I see I see this happening even uh, even in private industry. I know. Uh, uh, the federal government is 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 getting into uh, into facilitating exchange of of incident information between private sector and the government. Now I know anytime the government gets involved, people people always get get wary. But but there are there are a few good things that can that can come out of come out of this kind of an approach. Uh, and the overall thing is change in mindset. Uh, yeah. Look beyond your four walls and 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 understand what's going on beyond your four walls. Yeah, I, I love that uh, that approach, Shimon, and uh, I appreciate that perspective. Right, all, all too often it it becomes so focused on bits and bytes and exploit kits and and the sort of other things we have to do from a technical side. But your very sound advice to have perspective and and look beyond those four walls becomes critical to both the IT pro, the security expert, uh, and you know business people. Of all types, uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate it when people can see that it really all has to tie together, which is what I hear from you. Um, any other uh, sort of things you'd like to just remind our listeners about or, or share as we wrap up uh, this morning? And uh, I think you've opened up also a bunch of other topics that I'm sure we'll be following up on with you and others. So, uh, just any final thoughts from you, Shimon? Yeah, uh, the final, final thought is, uh, don't forget the human in the loop, uh, both from a cybersecurity operator perspective and the, and the everyday user perspective. We, we, we as an industry have not paid enough attention to, to users. Yes, we have taken a lot of strides in terms of education, uh, in terms of training, but, uh, fundamentally we are, we are not paying enough, uh, enough attention to how do we make the humans are more, uh, a more, uh, collaborative part of the system, right? And when I, what I, what I, what I mean by that is as practitioners and operators, we don't often take data, data driven decisions. A lot of it is based on hunches and biases. And as, as system designers, we don't often take the users into account when we design the systems. Mm-hmm. So, so, so to me, this, this human factor element, uh, has to be a core part of of how we think about cybersecurity. That's terrific. I, I really, really like that. Shimon, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah. Uh, deeply appreciate it. Thanks, Shimon. Thanks, thanks again for, for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Ellen, any sort of thoughts uh, to summarize what we heard from Shimon today? Well, I know the two takeaways for me, uh, I think, will be stepping away from the exotic solutions. I love that quote, keeping it simple. Uh, and also, don't forget the human in the loop. I, this idea of connecting people who have been uh, hit uh, or companies that have been hit or organizations so that they might defend together is really an interesting one to me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think, Ellen, that uh, you hit it right on. Shimon is really uh, delivering a lot of uh of great sound advice, and I'm glad he's working on product design and development. 
Uh, people are key, right? That's what we've talked about in the past, and we continue to believe that they're they're at the center of a uh, of a thoughtful approach to cybersecurity. Uh, I think that's everything that we have today. That's it, Norman. Uh, you co- you covered everything with that final note. I, I we know, appreciate I really that. To make sure that that we uh, we sort of ended on a high note. So he was a, gr- a great guest. I'm going to keep reading him. Uh, yes, for sure. I, I enjoyed this. Uh, our thanks to uh, Shimon Modi for joining us today, uh, for Ellen for being by uh, my side every time we do this, and of course for all of our listeners to uh, uh, who follow along. So thank you for joining, and remember, check out fightransomware.com, edited by our own Ellen and Brian, and join the good fight. Mm-hmm.